Well, welcome on this brisk Sunday morning. Uh, I, I'd like to talk today about the, well, I'd like to take advantage today of the, the holiday that is coming our way later this week and leverage that to think about the biblical discipline of gratitude. Long before there was a Santa Claus or an Easter bunny, before there was uh, Thanksgiving Day parades or office parties, before Hallmark was founded, before somebody realized that we could leverage uh, Kazmir Pulaski's birthday to get a three-day weekend, uh, long before any of those things, holidays were holy days. The idea of gathering everybody together, the idea of getting family and friends Uh, to sit down and laugh and have lots of food, uh, uh, to commemorate a hero or a particular event that has happened. All of that grew out of the pattern of religious festivals that were found in the past, and uh, many of which are recorded in Scripture. Holidays were holy days. The, The word holiday is an abbreviation of holy day. Now, we're, we're long since past that on most holidays. They're not holy days, but we can leverage that. We can at least appeal to that uh, to remember what they were. And I, I want to do that today as we approach Thanksgiving. And so to set this up, I have three sort of introductory foundational points. The first one is that the Bible commands us to be thankful. The Bible is full of of examples of people who were thankful, and it's full of commands to be thankful. We see this, for instance, in the book of Psalms. It's it's everywhere. Psalm 28.7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song I will give thanks. Psalm 30.11, You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy. I will be thankful. Uh, In Psalm 69.30, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. Psalm 95, sing for joy to the Lord, shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation, come before his presence with thanksgiving. I I could give you 50 more psalms that that are either modeling thanksgiving or are commanding us to be thankful. When we go to the New Testament, we have, um, well, we have the example of Christ who, who draws our attention to thankfulness when after healing ten lepers, he expresses a little bit of surprise that only one finds their way back to express thanks. And the clear suggestion is be the one, right? Be the one that is going to not just feel thankful but to express thanks. And then Paul will model this. Uh, He opens almost all of his letters by saying that he is thankful and that he gives thanks to God for the people he's writing to. In Romans 1, it's, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. 1 Corinthians 1, I always thank God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. 1 Thessalonians 1, we always thank God for you and mention you in our prayers. 2 Thessalonians 1, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, and rightly so. Paul will model 
the idea of thanksgiving. And then additionally, Paul commands us to be thankful. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verse 18, we have Paul saying, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then in Philippians chapter 4, when he's writing from a prison cell, he says, you know, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known unto God. This idea that we are to move through life from a posture of being thankful is, is found throughout Scripture. So the first thing is, this is, this is sort of a biblical imperative to be thankful. The second point is, uh, being thankful is a choice. We have an option. The, the command to be thankful means we have some control over this. Now, we don't always control our emotions, but we're not helpless on this front. We do control what we think about. Right? We, we can control what we think about, and thanksgiving is what we would call a progressional attitude or a progressional virtue. By giving thanks, you actually grow more thankful, right? The, the act leads to the attitude. I've, I've expressed my amazement that this works in the past, right? That there have been times I've taken the challenge, sit down and write out a hundred things that you're thankful for. And when you finish writing out that list of a hundred things, I find to my amazement, although it sort of seems like a very forced sort of hokey exercise, that I'm actually more thankful. And uh, at Thanksgiving, at our home, we require everybody to express their thanks for something before we eat. I don't know what your, you know, vision of what the Woodruff family looks like. We have three boys, so, right, we've navigated through the years where I'm thankful that I don't look like my brothers, right? Or I'm... I'm thankful that I'm mom's favorite. I'm, I'm thankful, right? We, we have all of that noise to sort of deal with, but if you persist, eventually you get people expressing some good thankfulness. And, uh, and I just want to say, you control what you think about. You control what you think about. You control what you read, what you watch, what you meditate on. You control what you think about. You can think about things that will make you more grateful. It is a choice that we have. Now, I want to acknowledge that the idea that we are commanded to be thankful may strike some of you at this particular moment as unthinkable and a little bit um, cruel. You are having a difficult time. You've had a difficult month or a difficult year or a difficult five years. And the suggestion that you were to give thanks to God seems a little bit bizarre. So I, I want to I be clear that the command that we're given is not to be thankful for our circumstances, right? 1 Thessalonians 5 doesn't say be thankful for your circumstances. It says be thankful in your circumstances. And, and this is a point that I think 
uh, Rick Warren makes uh, in a very profound way in a, in a recent article in Time Magazine. As many of you may know, Rick and Kay Warren, he's a pastor of a large church in Lake Forest, California. Uh, Rick and his wife lost their youngest son this past year. Their 30-year-old son uh, committed suicide. And the uh, editors of Time Magazine asked him to reflect on how it is he will be thankful this Thanksgiving. And so, uh, in an article entitled, Thanksgiving is a Difficult Holiday for Many, he writes, how can you be thankful when your doctor says it's cancer? How can you be grateful when the one you've loved has just walked out of your life? Or when you've been fired? Or when your dream has collapsed? Or when an economic tsunami has wiped out all you've worked for? This year became the worst year of my life when my youngest son, who'd struggled since childhood with mental illness, took his own life. How am I supposed to be thankful this Thanksgiving? When your heart's been ripped apart, you feel numb, not grateful. Yet the Bible tells us, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The key word is in. God doesn't expect me to be thankful for, or God doesn't expect me to be thankful for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. There is a big difference. The first attitude would be masochism. The second shows maturity. We're not supposed to be thankful for evil or sin or the innocent suffering caused by these things. But but even in heartache and grief and disappointment, there are still good things that I can be thankful for. Being thankful is a habit we can develop. Being thankful is a choice that we make. That leads to the third point, and that is um, being thankful is for our benefit, not God's. Please understand, God is fine, right? As a matter of fact, God is perfect. God is the most joyful being in the universe. And he does not require anything from us in order to be complete. He is not dependent upon our thanks and, uh, and on our praise. He delights in our praise, but he is perfectly complete without it. He doesn't need us to be thankful. We need to be thankful. We are dependent. We are completed by being thankful. Right? And by this, I don't simply mean that if we're thankful, life works better, right? There are studies that that suggest that this is the case. Uh, People who are thankful have more energy, have more friends, are less likely to be depressed, envious, or greedy. People who are thankful earn more money, sleep more soundly. People who are thankful have greater resistance to viral infections, right? There are studies that say if you're thankful, your life is going to work better. But I'm, I'm actually thinking about something different. I want to say being thankful is necessary for us because it helps us traffic in truth. It helps us understand the world more the way the world actually works. We're always better off when our understanding of reality lines up with reality. And the reality is we should be thankful. 
we often move through life from a position of entitlement, but we're not entitled to things. We're not owed the next breath that we need. We're not owed life. God has given us these things, and we can be thankful for them. Indeed, we should be thankful for them. So being thankful is helpful to us because it just helps us face reality more the way we should. Additionally, being thankful fosters hope, and we need hope. We're thankful for, for the present and the past. Right? We're, we're thankful for, for the, the good things that are happening to us now, and we're thankful when we look back and we see how God has been faithful. That thankfulness, the more we cultivate it, 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 it leads to a hope for the future, which helps us face struggles and uncertainties. Right? It gives us a sense of calm about what's going to come. The best if you're, if you're looking to hire somebody, one of the lines that you hear is the best indicator of future results is past performance, right? Don't look at what people say, look at what they've done. Well, to the extent that we look at who God is and what he has done, we can have great confidence in the future, right? Now, God has not said that this, this world would be easy. He's on record saying it will not be easy, right? In this world, you will have many trials, many struggles, Take heart, I've overcome this world. And he has made promises that he has consistently kept. And part of his promises is that he will make all things right. All things will work together for the good of those who love God. So to the extent that we are thankful and learn to be thankful for what's going on in our our life, we find that we have more hope for the future. So being thankful is, um, is... well, it's, it's a biblical command. Being thankful is a choice that we have. And being thankful uh, is, is a way that we can cultivate the kind of hope that gives us energy to face the challenges we will face. Um, with that in mind, I want to I leverage the, the, the cultural national moment we are approaching to think a little bit differently about thankfulness. Uh, the holiday that, that we will celebrate does not officially go back to the, the pilgrims or the Puritans. It, it officially goes back to Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Lincoln is the one who issues the proclamation 250 years after uh, the, the, you know, the pilgrims had landed in Plymouth Rock. He establishes Thanksgiving as something that we're going to do. It's a long proclamation. He opens it by saying, Uh, It has seemed to me fit and proper that God should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also uh, those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heaven. Uh, so, so Lincoln is the one who officially launches the, the holiday that we celebrate on the last Thursday in November. But the idea for it uh, is biblical, and the precedent for it in this country came from the Puritans. So, although I am at a complete loss as to explain to you how it is 
I was able to uh, bring someone from that first uh, uh, Thanksgiving to be with us here this morning, and I am further at a loss as to explain why he looks so much like Matt Heller, our new elder. Um, I wanted to have a conversation with him uh, about that first Thanksgiving. So, thank you for being here. I'm delighted to be here. And you look right out of central casting, just like what we would expect a pilgrim to look like. As you are aware, we don't actually know how the pilgrims dressed. Uh, I'm dressed this way because the paintings we have from 100 years after their time look like this, and because you asked me to dress this way. So (laughs) here I am. Fair enough. Uh, So let's talk about the first Thanksgiving. Uh, The narrative is that you, you came, you left Europe in search of religious freedom. And you, uh, you traveled on the Mayflower, and you landed on Plymouth Rock, and you had a, a difficult first winter. You made friends with the Indians. They, um, they taught you, Squanto in particular, taught you how to grow crops. And you had a bountiful harvest uh, that, that first fall. And so you threw a big party, and you were thankful to God, and you invited all the Indians, and... I think a little flag football happened, and it was uh, uh, lots of food, and you did. You finished in time for, you know, the NFL or early shopping at the malls, something like that. Uh, Something like that. Uh, We're actually aware. We have some pictures, uh, I believe, of what we think the first Thanksgiving looks like, and we're aware increasingly that it doesn't actually look like these pictures. And it's not just that we have no real reason to think that it was about turkey and pumpkin pie or even that the Indians were invited or that they showed up. What is probably missing from these pictures is the sense that you had a remarkably difficult time, bordering on a disastrous time. And uh, we don't fully appreciate the context out of which this first Thanksgiving celebration was launched. So let's, let's back up and, and have you frame this. You, you and your, your friends, the Puritans, Pilgrims, Brits, uh, Christians, what, what, do, what do we call you? Uh, we thought of ourselves as Christians, but those other terms also apply to some extent. Uh, the term pilgrim actually meant something different to us than it probably does to most of you today. This comes out of some writings of William Bradford. Bradford is the governor, right after the Mayflower Compact, you elected him to to lead you. Right, right. Uh, William Bradford was our first leader. We elected him, and he proved to be a great choice. He led us as our governor until his death many years later, and was also our historian. Uh, One of the things that he wrote was that we knew we were pilgrims. And what he was actually saying there was he was quoting from Hebrews 11. The Hall of Faith passage. Exactly. Uh, In that passage, the writer of Hebrews is talking about these great heroes of faith and notes that one of the things that they all had in common was they they knew that this world was not their home, that they were foreigners and strangers. In fact, let me read these verses for you. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Now, in the King James Version, 
It doesn't say aliens and strangers. Rather, it says strangers and pilgrims. Uh, Going on with the writing, uh, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So you called yourselves pilgrims because you were looking for a home in heaven, not in America. Indeed, we, we did not confuse America with heaven. Uh, we were thankful for a place to worship freely, but when we arrived here in 1621, there was scant evidence to indicate that we had arrived. And the term Puritan, you, you embraced that term? It was thrust upon us, but uh, yes... You're aware that it's, it's, not a, it's not a positive term today, that to be a Puritan is sort of to be a prude. I think H.L. Uh, Mencken, the, the journalist, said, a Puritan is someone who worries that someone somewhere is having fun. <laughs> I am aware of that. And, and you, you're, but you hold on to the term. Uh, are you aware of what some people say about pastors? I have a number of of jokes I could tell you about pastors. Fair enough. Uh, No, no, really. I have this one. All right. So this pastor walks in. Yeah, no. um, (laughs) I'm making a note. Don't work with children, animals, or pilgrims at this moment. So, well, the the term Puritan, to get back to that, is really unfairly vilified. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in fact, said, and I'm sure you're aware of this. You're you're a fan of C.S. Lewis. Uh, He writes... When we picture these Puritans, we must think of them as the very opposite of those that bear that name today, as young, fierce, progressive intellectuals, very fashionable and up-to-date. They were not teetotalers. Bishops, not beer, were their special aversion. I've, I've heard that they, that they loved life and that they were full of joy and that they wore clothes, all the colors of the rainbow, not the, the black and white that we sort of uh, assigned to them. So where's the term come from? The term Puritan comes from the idea that we wanted to, to purify the church. Uh, the church at that time was full of many rituals and man-made ideas. Uh, and I'm not sure that this is fully appreciated, but at that time, there was no religious freedom. If you were French, you were Roman Catholic. If you were German, you were Lutheran. And if you were English, you belonged to the Church of England, the Anglican Church, or in this country, the Episcopal Church. Um, we felt that the Church of England had added many man-made ideas and uh, had, we did not appreciate the things that they had added to this, to this religious approach. And so we wanted to purify that. And so you, you came here, you, you came to, the, to America in search of religious freedom. Uh, not directly. We went to Holland for religious freedom. Uh, in 1607, some of us snuck out of England and went to Amsterdam. Why sneak out? Because it was illegal to leave the country. Uh, The Church of England was the state church. And though we disagreed with it, to be English meant that we must be members of the Church of England. To do otherwise was treason. And so we had to leave. Treason. Indeed. Um, The the church had added these rituals, uh, these ideas that we did not find in the Bible, and yet uh, we were forced to follow their ways. 
Some of our members were actually jailed for trying to change the way worship services were conducted. Others were jailed for trying to leave the country. Two of our pastors were put to death for treason for trying to reform the Church of England. We were trapped. But you eventually were able to, to sneak out. It took several years and, and many failed attempts, but in 1607, 150 of us were able to sneak out of England and we ended up in Amsterdam. We, we eventually settled in Leiden, Holland, and we were there for a dozen years or so, but it, it wasn't really working. What wasn't working about Holland? We were thankful for the freedom to, to worship, but we were not truly free. Making a living was difficult for us, and our children were becoming Dutch. Uh, about a half of us decided to leave for the new world. We wanted a place of our own. So you secure passage on a ship headed to America. Well, again, it wasn't quite so easy. Boston wasn't exactly a hub for United Airlines in those days. Uh, it took us several years to raise the capital needed to purchase two ships to bring us to America. I, two ships. I, I hear about the Mayflower. Two ships? Initially, we had two boats, two ships, uh, the Speedwell and the Mayflower. Uh, we set out in spring on our journey, but had to turn back when the Speedwell began taking on water. It took us two more months before we could relaunch. At that point, 102 of us and all of our supplies crammed onto the Mayflower, uh, a boat probably about the length of two school buses. That's crowded. 102, uh, 102 pilgrims and 50 crew, so... The school bus normally holds 50 people. You've got 150 people on two buses. There were 102 of us, and all of our supplies not only crammed onto this bus for a short journey, but living on this ship. Uh, the passage was rough. It was incredibly crowded. It took us 63 days to cross the Atlantic. During that time, four people died, and a child was born. And you didn't... You didn't actually land where you were hoping to land. No. Uh, we landed in Massachusetts in December, rather than Virginia in July. A bit of a miss. <laughs> when we arrived, it was too cold to build homes at this point, so we lived that first winter on the Mayflower. It was horrible, bitterly cold. During that winter, half of our men and two-thirds of our women died. That's uh, unthinkable. I mean, if, if, if that happened today, there would be lawsuits going in every direction. There wouldn't be a religious festival offering thanks to God. Well, the, the Feast of Thanksgiving didn't occur until nine months later in the following fall. Uh, but at that time, we gathered to give thanks for God, uh, to God for providing for our needs. And... Only half of the people are still alive. At the time of the first Thanksgiving, only four of the 18 women who had set out to the new world were still alive. So what were you thankful for? I cannot speak for everyone, but I would say this. I was thankful for the goodness of God, that though our circumstances were not always good, that our God is always good. I was thankful that even though we do not understand the reasons for things, God always does, and that 
our true comfort comes not through our human explanations for events, but through the presence of God comforting us. I was thankful that in the long run, evil does not win. I was thankful for Christ and for his death for me. And I was thankful for the hope of heaven, that though this life is full of hardship and broken dreams and broken, broken promises, uh, that in heaven, in eternity, those things will be wiped away. As, as scripture says, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. There was and there is much to be thankful for. Were you made of different stuff than we are today? We were not soft. Doing what we did required abundant courage. And yet we were not heroes. You have this, this romantic view of what we were like. But, but I would say we came at life from a different vantage point. I would argue a more biblical one. We did not expect life to be easy. We did not feel that we deserved it to be. Um, we were amazed at God's abundant grace despite the fact of our sinful natures. Um, it's not the way uh, we necessarily frame things up today. I am aware of that. You, you have so much, and you have so much to be thankful for, and, and yet I hear a lot of complaining. So you had a, a devastating first year, and, and half of your families are, are killed. Do things get better after the first Thanksgiving? Briefly. Uh, it remained very difficult. William Bradford did a brilliant job of holding us together. We eventually did become the second successful European colony in the New World, but it remained very difficult for many years. Did you mean uh, to start a, a, an annual celebration? No, and we didn't. Uh, that following year, 1622, we held no Feast of Thanksgiving. But the year after that, we did. In June of that year, we were suffering through a great drought. The community came together and prayed to God, and the Lord sent rain the very next day. That year, we celebrated with a Feast of Thanks. But it was 50 years until the next Feast of Thanksgiving. We felt that if this became an annual event, that it would be reduced very quickly to an empty ritual. Football games and shopping. We felt that this was one of the things that the Church of England had gotten wrong, that, that they had tried to institute these, these annual holidays. When we read the Bible, we saw only three types of holy days. The Sabbath, to be celebrated every seventh day, days of repentance, and days of thanksgiving. Well, it is an amazing account and very different than I think we have often understood it to be. Any, uh, any words of advice, any closing words for us? I would like to go back and reference Bradford once again. Bradford was intent upon expressing his amazement at the goodness of God and allowing, encouraging us to also be amazed at this. And so um, here I'm quoting, in spite of the crookedness of our hearts, in spite of how weak and raw and petty we often were, God brought us along. And for that, we were very surprised and thankful. Well, thank you very much.
I, uh, I hope our conversation with a uh, 17th century pilgrim uh, come, who has come over on the Mayflower has helped you think a little bit differently about what it is that we are invited into and, and how it is that we might uh, go through a day of thanksgiving and what we would be thankful to God for. Being grateful is an attitude. It's a choice. It's a discipline that we cultivate. It is a biblical command. It makes life work. And um, I hope we see this just a little bit more, in a little bit more historically accurate way, in addition to a little bit more uh, biblically grounded way. Uh, well, as, uh, as we mentioned in previous weeks, and, and uh, as David mentioned in the setup, the, the focus today is on both gratitude and generosity. We are moving into this uh, new series on the Advent Conspiracy. This is a national movement. There are thousands of churches that are participating in the Advent Conspiracy, an effort to, to turn Christmas upside down, to rethink it. There's a Christmas tree in the lobby that is upside down. That's not an accident. That is a metaphor for thinking differently about how we celebrate the incarnation, the birth of Christ. And so uh, we, we, have, uh, we have four themes that will be unfolding over the course of the next four weeks. We also have lessons and carols coming up two weekends from now here at the Lake Forest campus, three weekends from now at the Highland Park campus. But the call is to worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. And all of that gets set up very effectively in this video. Let's watch this. <laughs> 